We are traveling through the Lord's Prayer one line at a time, and I hope that you're not tired of it yet because we're on week five. And so gr- growing up, I was raised Catholic, uh, and, and we, we said the Lord's Prayer every Sunday during Mass, and we called it the Our Father. And a lot of times it was set the music, and that was really the first prayer that I was introduced to. And it's a powerful prayer. And we're learning as we've journeyed through this prayer together line by line that it's, um, the power is not so much in the saying of the prayer, but the praying of the prayer, that it's a pattern. The disciples asked Jesus um, to teach them how to pray. They were all Hebrew men. They knew how to pray. Um, they've been taught how to pray since they were young, but they wanted to pray the way that Jesus prayed. And his response was to not bust out a whiteboard, but he just started praying in front of them. And that's where we get the Lord's Prayer. It's just 66 words. You can pray it in 30 seconds. And, um, and it's kind of the first half of the prayer, the first three weeks, we, if you notice that it's, it's made up of six requests. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching me and you how to pray and what to ask for. And the first three things all have to do with God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We just saying that. Um, it's beautiful. And so the first three requests are, you know, before I start asking God for my daily bread, I, I, I want to pray that his name would be glorified, that his kingdom would come, and that his will would be done. And then last week, it shifted. The last three requests, so six requests, the last three focus on us. And, and we talked about daily bread last week. And so I'm going to read it before I jump in here and give a 30-minute introduction. Matthew uh, chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 9. And let's just read the whole prayer this morning together. We haven't done that yet. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay. And so last week, daily bread, we knew that what Jesus is, is I think, asking us to pray for and ask God about is our practical needs. Practical needs. It's food. It's daily bread. Like we all need, we need food to live. Our bodies need nutrients to survive. And so it's, it's a good thing. God wants to know what your needs are. He wants to hear them. Um, and so it's okay to pray for, for daily needs. And everybody in here has them. You know, we all have things that we're praying for. And then the daily bread also, uh, we learned last week, is, is, is food for our soul. It's what our spirit needs. It's what we need on the inside. And so it's practical needs, but it's also our spiritual needs. And so today he, he's, he's talking about forgiveness. And then next week, we're going to talk about deliverance from the evil one and temptation. And so three things, the last three things we pray for are for ourselves. But today is the most important one. Of all the things in this prayer, the six requests... When I was growing up, middle school, we had the, remember those little Nokia block phones? They had like snake on them. And, and, and you could send a text, but if it was over like, it was like a tweet. If it was over a certain amount of characters, you got charged for it. Does anybody remember that? That's how, okay. Or you'd have to break, all right, I got one. Yeah, so, so, so it was what we did in middle school before all, all my students in here, we didn't text, we wrote letters. 
We pass letters. And so if you were into somebody, you didn't, you know, now you can send everything over the phone, which is wild, wild. I would probably not be doing this if I had that, an iPhone in middle school and high school because you can get in trouble. But back then we wrote letters. And so there was like clear evidence in what you were putting in there. And, and once you wrote the letter, you wrote the letter. And then at the end of the letter, to really emphasize the most important part of the letter, you would write P.S., right? So Jesus here is teaching us how to pray, and then he adds a P.S. to this prayer. And he doesn't talk about our daily needs. He doesn't talk about daily bread. He doesn't even say P.S., make sure you glorify God in all you do. He doesn't say P.S., make sure that you're doing his will, or P.S., you need food for your soul. Make sure you're praying for your daily, uh, you know, for daily nutrients for your soul. He doesn't do that. Here's his P.S. We're going to read it. Verse 14. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. That's heavy. And that's really what I'm talking about this morning, what I want to go through just for a few minutes. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's interesting that Jesus uses that word debt. And in the United States, we're pretty familiar with debt. Our U.S. government is, uh, we are in $32 trillion in debt right now as as a country. Before I finish this sermon, we would have, will accumulate as a country $100 million in debt. We are going into debt at the rate of $100 million an hour in the United States. There's more household debt now than there's ever been before, according to the latest research. 80% of Americans are in debt. The average person in here has somewhere around $58,000 in debt. Over half the population is spending more money than they make every year. And so we know debt. We're familiar with debt because, you know, it's, it's something that I remember, you know, your credit cards are just kind of given to you and pushed down your throat before you even graduate. In high school, I remember, you know, I wanted to go to college and that was important to me. And I remember all of these grants and, hey, this is free money. Take this, you know, we'll pay for your school. You can go anywhere you want. And then I found out it wasn't free money. I guess we think it is sometimes, but, but they want you to pay that stuff back. And then with a credit card, you see these commercials and everybody's happy and they're just charging everything and there's skiing and snowboarding and, and traveling the world. And it's like, hey, make memories, you know, and that's important. And, uh, but by the way, we're going to have you, uh, you know, by the throat for the rest of your life. Everybody in the United States is familiar with that term debt. It basically means that which is owed. Getting something now, paying for it later. Enjoying something now, paying for it later, or expecting somebody else to pay for it later. That's a new one. But the problem with debt in the United States specifically is if you don't pay it back, you're going to get a phone call. (laughs) They're going to let you know, right? There's no way that you can charge up a credit card. I could take my credit cards. I do have a credit card, by the way. I know Dave Ramsey is like, don't do credit cards. I like the points. I like the free flying, okay? And so, I, and so I'm, just, I'm not encouraging it, but if I take my credit cards out and cut them up and forget about them, Capital One and Visa MasterCard has not forgotten about it. And they're gonna start calling 
and they're going to start calling, and then they're going to show up, and then they're going to turn us over to the IRS, and then they're going to come out and start taking your stuff from you and seizing your assets. And, and, and so we know that debt in America, we're familiar with it because we know the process, we know how it works. And, and, and so Jesus compares, catch this, unconfessed sin in our life to debt. The things that we've done, the decisions that we've made, poor decisions, and we've all done it. We've all made mistakes. Nobody in here is perfect. Sometimes we think that pastors are perfect, but there was only one perfect pastor, and his name was Jesus, and all the rest of them had problems, including this one. Same ones you got, by the way. And so we make mistakes, and Jesus is teaching us something here. He's comparing unconfessed sin to debt. And you may forget your decisions, but your decisions don't forget you. And so he's teaching us something here. Confession, praying for forgiveness, asking God to wipe the slate clean. And sometimes it's hard to do that because we can get away with stuff and we can make a lot of poor decisions and keep on moving on like nothing happened. And we don't have Visa and MasterCard calling us up every week or every day or showing up at our house to seize our assets. We just keep on going. But then it shows up in all kinds of ways. Bitterness, relationships start getting rocky. I think it shows up in physical ways. We start getting sick and discouraged and down because sin is a sickness. And when we, and I think in this life, we can get away with things and we can forget some of the poor decisions we make, but eventually we start to feel those things and they come back up and they come back up. And it may go underground for a while, but it doesn't go away. And so Jesus is teaching us a powerful truth here to confess our sins. And I love it because in 1 John, he says this, if we claim that we're without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, somebody say confess, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10 though, but if we claim that we've not sinned, if we think we're holier than now, if we act like we, we've never made a mistake, we make him out to be a liar and the word is not in us. I think one of the overarching marks of a person that's really walking with the Lord is they're more concerned about their own sin than those of the people around them. And unfortunately, we kind of live in a world where as Christians, we feel like it's our job to correct the wrongs in the world. But Jesus is saying, hold up. Before you start pointing fingers, before you start pointing at specks in other people's eyes, are you confessing the things in your life where you're falling short? Are you bringing it to God? Is it a part of your life? And this is the powerful thing about it. Confessing faults, confessing my faults to God is the first step in finding my strength in God. You should write that down. This is not a guilt thing. This is not a shame thing. This is a confessing where I have fallen short in my life because I have and I continue to do it. And, and I think we all, if we're honest with each other, we have faults. We have areas in our life where we're not... We know that things are, you know, sin, the best definition of sin that I could find is missing the mark. It's target practice. And I meant to hit the bullseye, 
but I'm, I'm way over here. I missed the whole target. And so it's not a shame, a guilt thing that we're, that we're coming to God in this fear mentality, but it's a faith mentality that if I come to God and I confess my faults to him, that's where I find my sh- real strength. I've heard it said like, you know, like this, the, the first sin recorded in the Bible is Adam and Eve. And, and their natural reaction was when they sinned was to hide. They tried to cover it up, right? Fig leaves and, and then God's showing up and, and they're hiding from God. I think that's our first natural reaction when we make a mistake. We, we want to hide. We want to try to cover it up. But what we uncover in our life to God, God says, I'm faithful and I will cover it for you. But it's the stuff that we don't bring to him that builds up over time and it builds up weeks and months and years of Confession is good for the soul. And, and we're not talking, I'm not talking about, you know, airing your stuff out to other people or, or you know, putting it on Facebook or, right, gossiping. Like, I'm not talking, I'm talking you and God and you're, you're coming clean. And, and you're, you know, Psalm 51 is, I think, one of the most beautiful psalms. It's not in your notes. But that was David's re- prayer of repentance after he had made some mistakes. David was a man after God's own heart, but he was also a man. And he made some mistakes. And, and, and when Nathan walked up and said, hey, you know, called him on his sin, he wrote Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 was just this confession to God that in part of that psalm is, Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. Before he, you know, started making things right with the people that he hurt, he went to God first. Confession is good for the soul. Confession is good for sleep. Confession is good for your health. Confession is good for the relationships in your life that you want to keep. And so I was raised Catholic, and I never got to the confession part because I got kicked out of CCD classes. I was a bit of a, of a bad kid. And so you got to go through all the, you know, in the Catholic faith, you go through these, these different steps and you get confirmed. And, and um, I would sneak in the communion line just to get the wine and they didn't know it, you know what I'm saying? But I, 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 they had real wine in the, in the communion, and, but they had confessional and it was a big part. And then, you know, so I, after I, you know, was raised Catholic, I ended up getting, you know, getting back into the faith in a Pentecostal church. And they were really big on professions of faith. You've probably heard a few of them, like um, name it and claim it, blab it and glab it, grab it, blab it and grab it. Have you heard that one? Declare it and wear it. You haven't heard that one? Mark it and park it. Get you some anointing oil and go to the car lot and just pour some oil on that baby. And, and that, you know, so, so they were really big on being specific about the things that you wanted in your life from God. I'm not knocking it. I think it's a really good thing. You know, I mean, it's, it's your daily bread. It's your daily needs. You're bringing it to God. You're being specific. But I think confession should be the exact same way. That if we're specific to God about the things we want in our life, then we should be specific to God about the things we're sorry for in our life. And so this is not just a general blanket, Lord, just cover all these things I've done wrong in my life, but it's it's getting specific with these things. It's, letting, it's bringing them to God. It's letting him know, hey, I know I messed up, and, and, and Lord, I, I need your forgiveness. And then once we do that, I think James 5 gives us a little bit of a next step after that. James 5, verse 15. 
And James says it like this, if, if you confess your sins, the things that you've done wrong, one to another, and you pray for one another, you do that, why? So that you can be healed. And so I think there is a difference between being forgiven. I go to God and I've made a mistake, Lord, forgive me, but I hurt a lot of people in the process. And for the longest time, I thought that that verse meant, well, you can just run all over people and then go confess it to your pastor and everything's okay or your priest or, or your small group or the person that you trust. But I think that verse really means is confess your faults to the person that you hurt or the, the person that hurt you. And the, the, the real meaning is, is so there can be healing in that relationship and reconciliation in that relationship. And so confession is good for the soul, it's good for health, it's good for our well-being. Confess, right? Forgive us our debts. And then there's a really big, small word, but it's a really big word, A-S, as. We forgive those that, you know, that have hurt us. And in my experience, confession is almost a natural thing. And it, sometimes it'll just hit me when I'm driving down the road. And I'll, it's just, I feel like the Holy Spirit will put something in my mind or heart and like, God, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. I, I know I shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have acted that way, got mad. I mean, I, I really have some anger problems when it comes to driving. <laughs> and so, I, and, and if you've ever driven, I could get really upset. I don't know who they are. You know what I mean? But I'm ready to like, I'm just ready to fight or I'm ready to ram there. You know, it's like, I just get angry, especially if people pull out in front of me and, and I have to, you know, really, I'm just telling you, that's me. And maybe you don't have that issue, but, um, you know, so I, you know, the whole, sometimes, uh, you know, God will bring, remind some, you know, me of some things like, hey, you, you know, you got really mad at that person or you did this or that. And, and I'm not gonna go into all the details, but the hardest part for me in my experience, and maybe yours is like this, it's not so much asking God to forgive you for the things that you've done, but forgiving the people that have sinned against you. We talk a lot about sin. We talk a lot about, you know, you know our, our you know, confession and it's good and it's healthy, but in the church, we don't talk a lot about how to deal with the, the people that have hurt us, the people that have wronged you, the people that let you down, and Jesus, man, this is, this is hard. And so I want you to just buckle your, your seatbelt here and put your, your tray table up because it's about to get bumpy. And I wish that, you know, this is a real, I didn't write this. But he takes us as far to say that if you want forgiveness in your life, you have to forgive the people that have hurt you. And he goes on to say that if you don't do that, then you're not forgiven. Now that's a theological problem to me right? I thought that God forgave everyone and that if I come to God and ask him for forgiveness, I'm forgiven. And so that, that's a problem <laughs> because maybe you haven't been hurt by anyone, but I mean, I've, I've had some stuff happen to me in my life and I didn't want to forgive them. I wanted to hit back. I wanted to get even. And so what Jesus is saying is that my willingness to forgive is connected to my capacity to receive forgiveness. And if I really wanna walk in everything God has for me, I have to be willing to forgive the people in my life. 
And he goes on to even say, if I'm holding on to things and I'm not complete, if I'm holding on to bitterness and strife and hurt, that it's going to affect my ability to forgive. And the best way that I've heard it said was by Shakespeare, right? The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven. And so I believe God's mercy is for everyone, but this is what happens when we don't forgive people. We build a tent over that. And God's saying, my mercies are new every morning, and I want you to walk in forgiveness and freedom, but when we hold on to bitterness and pain, we're building a house over our head. And that gentle mercy that's fallen every morning doesn't make it to us. Man, it's getting quiet, Jesus. Help me here. I wish I had a joke to put in right here. Because it's easy to confess our sins to God. It's really hard to forgive the people that have sinned against us. It's really hard. Jesus, preparing his disciples for a life of ministry, says this, it's impossible it's impossible to live this life without offenses coming. It's, an, it's impossible for you to be a human being and somebody not hurt you or somebody not, and especially now in the 21st century, it's like, man, I feel like people are getting offended by all sorts of things. But there's no way to live this life unless you just hopped off a sailboat and came from an island in the middle of the Caribbean without anybody on it. Somebody has hurt you at some point in your life. Somebody has said something. Somebody has let you down, right? Words hurt a lot of times more than weapons. That whole sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. I'd rather somebody kick me, you know, just kick me, hit me. And I, I can, I'd rather that than, you, you know, say, words are like arrows and they pierce and they hurt. I don't know who wrote that, but they were wrong. <laughs> And the enemy uses offense more than anything else to distract the Christian. And I wanted to call this message the freedom of prayer because this is the most important part of prayer, I really believe, is because what the devil really wants for you is you to be so offended in your life that you never show back up to church, you never show back up to a family meal, you never talk to your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle. He's after you and your family. He wants to get you so offended and so hurt and so convinced that they were wrong. And until they forgive, you're not going to even speak their name again. That's his job. And I can't tell you how many people I've sat down with that will not come back to church because of something that was done to them. Three months, three years, three decades ago. And they're holding on to it. That word offense, it's a funny word. It's scandalon in the Greek, and it literally means, I want you to, to see this, it's the bait that you put in the trap for an animal. Offense, it's bait. When my wife and I first moved out here to the beach, 2010, we lived in a little block house right on the ground, and uh, we had some, some visitors that moved into that house. And we heard them running in the attic. And then, you know, one day I opened the pantry and somebody got in the chips and it wasn't me. And I thought, all right, we got to do something about this. And so I started, started taking care of these little, you know, mice. And then I found out, um, doing a little research, 
that there's certain mice on the beach that are protected. They're called beach mice. Now, they're these cute little jokers, and they're just here in Perdido, but you can't kill these mice. You could go to jail for killing these mice. These mice are protected. And so we bought this trap. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to trap these mice, take them down to the national seashore, and let them out. It's like, all right. I'm not going to admit to killing any of these mice. So I was, I was trapping. So I, once I figured that out, I trapped the mice. But these mice were smart. They were little geniuses. And, and, and what I would use in these traps, I would, at first I just used like regular American cheese. And it would get them. Boom. Trap them. Let them go. Well, then they, they started picking up on it. They didn't like the American cheese. So I switched to like provolone. And then the provolone would get them for a few days. And then they stopped eating the provolone. So I'd go, and then finally I used cheddar, then sharp cheddar. But it was only a few days. I'd catch a few mice, and then they would, they would figure it out. But then I started using feta cheese. And these, they couldn't resist it. And so I, <laughs> you're laughing, but, you know, there's a devil out there that knows the bait to use in your life. And he'll send people that know how to push your buttons and to say just the right things. And it's not strangers. It's usually family. It's usually, you know, the people that are closest to you can hurt you the most. And when you take the bait, when you grab a hold of that offense, what you do is you put yourself in a cage everything stops and you start convincing yourself i mean you start some people have they've been so offended for so long they started they just are they started painting the walls in their cage they have a little sofa and a lazy boy they move their tv in there but the problem with it is it's real lonely and then you can't trust anybody and you know, you know, all your relationships begin to be affected because you've grabbed a hold of this bait and this offense. And it's hard to let it go. And so how do we do that practically? Just a couple things and we're going to pray. This, I know this is really heavy, but I, I want to I try to help you this morning because I'm tired of seeing people not walking in freedom because they're offended or hurt by somebody that did something to them years ago and, they, and it's affecting everything in their life. I've been there. I know what it's like. And that's not what God wants for you. He wants you walking in freedom. He wants you walking in liberty. He wants you to be so, so infatuated with his forgiveness that it's impossible to offend you. And it's possible. This is what he says. I wanna, I wanna read this verse to you. But before, before I give you the verse, a few things about forgiveness. Number one, this is not in your notes. Forgiveness is not minimizing the offense. Forgiveness is not saying, well, you know what? It's, it wasn't a big deal. It's okay. And then really, you know, it wasn't okay. And you know, it was a big deal. And you cried a lot about it. And it impacted you way more than you're saying it did. And you had nightmares. No, no, no. Forgiveness is not minimizing it. For forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. Sometimes, I mean, I've, I've been encouraged by that. Well, just, we're supposed to forgive and forget. 
Well, God says that he can take our sins, cast them as far as the east is from the west, or put them at the bottom of the ocean. Thankfully, he can do that, but I'm not God, and neither are you, and you have a memory, and so do I. And when I, when I give you these things, to how, I think, to how to walk in freedom and forgiveness, I'm not saying you got to forget what happened. I'm not saying you got to write it off like it never happened and minimize it. And I'm not saying that forgiveness is reconciliation. Because if you're in an abusive relationship, you shouldn't keep forgiving the person and go back to the abusive relationship. You should get out. You should put up a boundary. The Bible is n- never encourages or even supports staying in a dangerous, evil, abusive relationship. God bless that person, pray for that person from a distance. Thank you. I got, I got one amen. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you're going to be able to stay together. doesn't mean that you're going to be able to get back together. You may not get any more coffees on Tuesday mornings now. That might be the, the, the end of that relationship. Because when somebody is, is kind of going crazy in their life, the best thing you can do is put up boundaries. Because hurt people hurt people. So it's not getting back together. It's, it, the relationship never may get restored. But this is what the Bible tells us to do. To choose forgiveness. Luke 6 I tell you, hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. Three things. How do I get out of this prison of offense and walk in freedom? Number one, pray for the person that hurt you. Pray for them. And I didn't write this, and I don't even like it. (laughs) I'm just going to be, I don't even like it. But Jesus says, if you want to get healing in your life, it's not for them, it's for you. You want to walk in freedom? Pray for them. Pray for them. Well, I did. Pray some more. I did. Well, pray again. Try laying hands on them. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm kidding. Sometimes, I mean, when we were kids, we would get in fights, and then we'd be best friends. You know what I mean? It was just part of, I don't know. Anyways. Now you get in a fight at school and you're, you know, it's like, it's over. But we used to fight things out. Pray, pray for them. 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 It's hard to stay mad at a person you're praying for. Because there's usually a story behind what they did to you. And you don't know it. You know about this much of a person's life. And there's this big circle of what they've been through and what they've gone through. And you... You don't know their history and you don't know their family. You know, everything that there's, most of the time there's a story behind a person that is hurtful and I don't know it and I don't need to know it, but I can, I can pray for that person. Pray for them. Jesus says the second thing is to bless them. Some of the people in my life where God gave me the gift of goodbye and I knew that it was, we wouldn't be seeing each other anymore, I would buy them a gift. That's funny, isn't it? Caleb, my wife's up here. Yeah, I will. I I feel like it's, I just, you know what? I'm just going to, this is the end of a chapter for us. I'm going to write you a letter. Love you from a distance. I'm going this way. You're going that way. There's no need to try to stay connected here. But I want to, God gives the gift of goodbye sometimes in our lives. And one of the ways that we can heal and walk in freedom, again, it's not for them, it's for you. Pray for them and then bless them. 
And I think that word really means it's not so much buying them a gift, it's, it's, it's speaking well of them. And so when their name comes back up during Thanksgiving or whatever, you know, instead of pulling out the club and, and or rehearsing what happened, my mom used to say this, if you can't say anything nice, You don't want to get in a triangulation thing here. Hey, I noticed that you haven't been hanging out with so-and-so. You used to spend all kinds of time with them. What happened? Where where are they at? I don't know. You should call them. (laughs) Tell them I'm praying for them. (laughs) Come on, that's good right there. Don't get in a triangulation. Don't even do it. Just move on. If you can't say anything good, just don't say anything. Just don't say anything. And then the third one, do good to them. Do good to them. It's really hard to do. I would go step out on a limb and say it's impossible to do without receiving the forgiveness of God in your own life. And that's why it's two sides of a coin. And you can confess your faults and come to God and he's, I think, more willing to forgive you than you're willing to forgive yourself. And I want you to take those three things because I've sat with a lot of people who have a hard time forgiving and it's not another person. It's, their, it's themselves. And they made a mistake and they made a poor decision and they weren't in their right minds. And when we're not able to forgive ourselves and when we, sometimes we, we, we hurt our own selves because of the things that we've done. Because we feel like we deserve it. And what we do when we do that is we put ourselves in the seat of God because God has forgiven you. God has forgotten about it. But what the devil likes to do is keep bringing it up. Over and over. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's what he does. He wants to remind you of every mistake you've ever made, every person you've let down, every bridge that you've burned. And so sometimes the hardest person to forgive in our life is is ourselves. Because we've done some things we're not proud of. I'm just going to read this, Romans 12. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Two wrongs don't make a right. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay. And some of you need to hear that this morning. I don't think we get away with anything in this life. And maybe there's somebody out there running around that hurt you so bad and they never said sorry. And they're they're just doing it over and over and over like they got away with it. They didn't get away with it. You reap what you sow in this life. 
and you can steamroll people and you can hurt people and you can have this Machiavellian mindset that you're just going to use people to get what you want out of life. But when you get there, and so what, what, what Paul is instructing us to do, and it's hard, it's almost impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit, is to just let things go and forgive. And I think that there's this unseen king in the universe that he's righting the wrongs and he sees everything that's done. And there's gonna come a day where we're all gonna stand before God, every one of us. And when we release people, what we're doing is we're saying, I'm trusting God to avenge for what has happened to me. I'm trusting God that he is faithful that he's a good, just God, and that in, on this side of eternity, we really don't get away with anything. We don't. So just for a moment, I want you just to bow your head, because I know this is a really, really sensitive subject. And maybe You've been holding on to some things, maybe some anger, some unforgiveness, and you know it's, in, it's, it's impacting your life. And I really believe God wants you to walk in freedom today. He doesn't want you to, to live your life in a, in a prison of offense, bitter and upset and angry. And right now in this moment, there's forgiveness, there's healing. And I just want you, if there's a, a person that comes to your mind right now or a situation, just bring it before the Lord. You don't have to say it out loud, but just in your own mind, Lord, I release that person that tried to destroy me. They sued me, tried to take everything from me. I release that person that was supposed to be there and they did the opposite of everything they promised me in my life. I, I release that person. You, just right now, whoever it is, whatever. if there's nothing comes to your mind, then it's just, Lord, I, I want to walk in freedom and forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 